This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today, Eric Bond from the CMHC joins us. That's right. That's a Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, Adam. Yes. That is a crown corporation, the largest housing insurer in the country. The exciting thing about this is uh, these guys do forecasts, right? Yes. And I, I believe it was Murtaza Hyder, right. very, very smart uh, past guest who said, hey, those guys know more than me. They got more data than me, so I defer to the CMHC, and uh, and now we got Eric Bond on talking I, specifically about the Vancouver real estate market over the next couple of years. It's an exciting conversation for sure. It's a super exciting conversation, and you learn a lot about what the CMHC is forecasting for Vancouver. And actually, you'll probably have some takeaways about where you think the safe points in the market are and maybe some steady where, eddies for sure. where there's potentially some instability. Uh, we cover it all in today's episode, so we're really excited to have Eric on the program. But before we get to that, Matt, we have some housekeeping. We have some housekeeping. First off, Adam, uh, you and I are, we're numbers guys, but we don't look as much as we should, or maybe we do look too much at, at how many people are listening to this show. Well, which one is it, Matt? Uh, I'm not sure, but well, let's put it this way. I hadn't looked in a while. Turns out there's more people listening to this show than there were last year yes. by a considerable amount. Yeah. Uh, so thank you everyone for tuning in and welcome to uh, to the show. Yeah, Matt, it was really great seeing all the numbers and the VREP community is growing. I know there's a lot of people out there who have been with us for day, since day one, so I appreciate that. But welcome new listeners and hopefully you're getting some value from our program. Um, Matt, I just want to quickly, uh, just before we uh, we get to some of the housekeeping here, um, next week's program is really going to be one to tune into as well. Uh, we've got the author of One Rental at a Time, Michael Zuber, on the program. And it, just to give you an idea, he's almost at 200 doors in 15 years, this guy. Which is um, incredible. He retired and he, he bought his first property 17 years ago and he retired two years ago. Isn't that crazy? Not a bad run. Not a, Not bad, a bad run. run. And, and you talked to Michael by yourself. I haven't listened to this yet, but you were, I, I know I talked to you after and you were, you were, you were excited. Yeah. Today's episode is definitely one for the books. And next week's episode, again, another one for the books. We, 
we're filling those books. <laughs> we're filling those books. And shout out to Jason, uh, who who was the one who put us on to Michael. Uh, that was a that was a great recommendation. What else do we got before we cut to our talk with Eric Adam? We have the Sellers Club. Yeah, we do have the Sellers Club. We're sending out exciting resources to get your home sold for top dollar to everybody on the Sellers Club list. It's an exclusive club, but it's growing quickly. It is growing quickly. And we've sent out some amazing resources like the sold plan, the get your home ready for market checklist. Uh, we also have some other checklists that are going out. But these are these are actually actionable plans that help you get your place ready for the market. And if you are thinking about coming onto the market, we can help you with that as well, of course. That's right. What else do we got, Adam? Well, we got the Vancouver Real Estate Summit coming up this Saturday. There are so many... I think we're almost a thousand people. Almost a thousand people attending. There are so many uh, exciting guest speakers. It's from nine till noon. It's a Zoom meeting. It's free. The Vancouver Real Estate Summit. We sent out a couple emails, uh, one yesterday again, about this. If you're interested and you're not on the uh, live wire list, send us an email. Give us a call. We can get you hooked up with a ticket. The Vancouver Real Estate Summit. I think we go on a ten fifteen. I think we do. We are coming live from the bento box as well. We're, We're back, back at the bento box. What's really <laughs> happening in the Vancouver real estate market is the title Taylor gave us. Yes. And uh, now we just got to Now we pack, just got to We got to pack the skeleton. <laughs> That's right. We're we're working on it right now, but it's exciting exciting stuff. And finally, Adam, before we cut to our talk, this podcast, the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, is sponsored this week by Oakland Realty. That is our brokerage. Fantastic place to be. Great culture over there. Culture of learning, I would mm-hmm. say, is mm-hmm. one of the is one of the things one that of I education. really education. Yeah, one of education for sure. Very exciting place uh, to hang your hat. So if you're a new agent, an old agent, a young agent who's, a hatless who's agent. 10, 10 years in the business. Right. If you're an agent looking to make a change, head over to oakland.com slash join and type in VRP2020. That's right. oakland.com slash join VRP2020. Tell them we sent you. There's a huge gift waiting for you. Yeah. And Tell them you listen to the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. That's right. <laughs> yeah, <like> Real Estate. <laughs> I don't know why they dropped the E. I still don't know. Yeah. You know what? But hey, uh, what really matters here is it's a great brokerage and you get a big surprise. Right. Right, huge but, surprise. But maybe we should cut to our talk with Eric Bond. Uh, we've been we've been going after the CMHC for a while, so it's so exciting to have the local we finally got CMHC em. economist and market analyst yeah. on the show. I wonder if they still think we're the Financial Post. <laughs> enjoy the enjoy the episode, guys. Okay, so we're here with Eric Bond, economist with CMHC and market analyst for Vancouver, BC. Uh, welcome, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks uh, so much for taking the time today, Eric. My pleasure, yeah. Can, can you start, Eric, by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, look, I mean, I'm, I'm a guy who likes skiing. I live in kits. I like going to the beach and uh, I ride my bike around town. And yeah, I do a bit of housing stuff too. But. If you eat sushi, you're every person in Vancouver. <laughs> no, I, I actually, I'm, it's, I'm not a huge fan, but <laughs> fair enough. I, I'm, I've heard we had good sushi here, yeah. <laughs> and and how long have you been with the, the CMHC as an economist? Uh, so I've been with CMHC for just over six years. I joined the organization in uh, 2014, uh, originally covering the uh, Victoria market, and uh, I since moved to our... Uh, Vancouver portfolio, and we are based uh, in the Vancouver uh, Vancouver office as well. Do you, do you miss covering Victoria? Uh, yes and no. I mean, Victoria. I mean, I, I really enjoyed taking the float planes to the island when I had to go there uh, for work. So, so that was that was good fun. But uh, no, very very different market actually uh, in Victoria than Vancouver. But yet, you know, you still have. The demand from elsewhere in the country where people are looking for that West Coast lifestyle and so on. And so some similar forces in that way. Well, and, and in terms of differences, like I'd imagine at least any other market that we've watched compared to Vancouver, like Vancouver seems like a much more dynamic uh, and fast paced market. But what what in your mind are the kind of key differences between Vancouver and Victoria? Uh, okay. I mean, uh, 
Well, I, I'd say the the source of growth uh, is probably one. I mean, you know, Victoria does have you know some uh, young people uh, you know migrating to the area, particularly students and so on. But there is a very large uh, you know retiree demographic that migrates there. Uh, Vancouver is much broader uh, in terms of its uh, population growth, but actually it too is concentrated in younger demographics, particularly the kind of 18 to 44 non-permanent resident group, uh, which we can talk more about later if you like. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, uh, you know, both uh, very interesting markets. There's a lot, uh, I would say, a lot more wealth involved in the Vancouver market. The affordability challenges are also much greater, uh, both in the rental market and in, uh, of course, the ownership market. Right on. Uh, so I guess if you've been watching uh, for the past six years, Vancouver, maybe we'll start with, is the Vancouver real estate market healthy in your mind? Uh, okay, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, is it healthy in that it meets the housing needs of all of its citizens? I, I would say no. Uh, we have some serious challenges, uh, you know, largely due to, uh, you know, the fact that housing housing prices are uh, you know, very high relative to local incomes. Uh, in Vancouver, on a national scale, our incomes are pretty average, right? Uh, our housing prices are definitely not. And, uh, you know, that's, okay, particularly relevant in the ownership market, but it affects everything else, too. It affects the price of land. It affects uh, the ability to do development. Um, and, you know, it affects the affordability of the end product that you get from that development. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'd say we have some challenges. How will COVID-19 impact the Vancouver real estate market, in your opinion, Eric? And we should say, we, you, just, uh, you, you were a co-author of a, a special report, a summer report on, on Vancouver housing. So uh, in relation to your report, I guess. Certainly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, let me preface, I shouldn't say this, but, it, you know, these are very uncertain times, right? I, I don't think uh, anyone would disagree with that. Uh, but we, you know, we have a, an, an important uh, obligation and mission to inform the market of kind of what we're seeing and to help people make better decisions. So we did, uh, you know, take a particular view of the world and what's happening with uh, COVID-19 and, you know, came up or derived a, a forecast, uh, you know, for the major cities across Canada for the, the coming years. Uh, and so, you know, that that forecast is based on, uh, you know, the notion that employment, uh, income, and migration are major drivers of housing demand. And uh, all three of those variables are going to be impacted by COVID-19. And so I can kind of walk through that if that'd be interesting uh, to you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, please. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, the economic logic is basically that, like, if people lose their jobs and have lower incomes, and unfortunately some will, uh, you know, we are in the midst of a, or at the start, I should say, of a uh, historic recession, right? Um, you know, they will have a lower ability to pay for housing. And, uh, you know, some people will therefore need to sell. And so those that are buying, um, and, and well, and rather those that are buying on the other side, uh, will have a lower ability to pay as well. So that uh, would lead to uh, lower prices, or at least certainly uh, limit price growth uh, going forward. Uh, meanwhile, you have less migration. Uh, to Vancouver and other cities in Canada. You know, our borders have been closed for a couple months now. Uh, you also have less movement within uh, within province or between provinces within the country. Um, and so, uh, you know, there will be fewer people needing housing uh, in general, right? Um, we also have to consider for Vancouver our starting point. So we were coming off a historic high in terms of housing starts. So there's a record number of units underway. Uh, that is a cyclical business. And so we were looking towards uh, or we we're heading down a path towards lower housing starts before COVID-19 uh, hit in order to allow uh, some of that uh, activity to be, um, you know, uh, well, basically absorbed by the marketplace, uh, you know, before then uh, developers would launch new projects. Uh, and we also, of course, as I mentioned, have uh, very high prices relative to uh, local incomes. And we have uh, the highest level of indebtedness um, of any city in the country. So that was our starting point. So, 
in terms of our outlook and what we published in the report, we do see uh, house prices moving lower. So this is the overall average MLS price, which of course contains a variety of home types and locations and so on. Uh, but as an overall measure, uh, we do see that moving lower over the next two years, uh, you know, about 8 to 16% lower uh, by the end of that two-year period. Um, and that will start with a, you know, price decline of between 0.5 and 3% this year. And it really uh, takes more hold in 2021 and then into uh, 2022 before, uh, you know, beginning to recover towards the end of 2022. Um, housing starts we see moving lower as well. Um, in terms of the numbers here, we see those declining by uh, 18 to 60 percent in the second half of this year uh, before beginning to recover uh, next year as uh, you know builders again move projects forward at a pace that's roughly in line with uh, household formation. Um, and finally, MLS sales we have you know so far. Uh, you know, very thin volumes the last couple of months. Uh, and so we've seen a, a quite a dramatic decline in sales as, you know, people have had to self-isolate and so on. And, um, you know, that, uh, you know, has started to recover, uh, in, you know, more recently. Uh, but overall for the second quarter, we are, uh, you know, going to be uh, quite a bit lower than Q1 of this year. Uh, we, we do see sales uh, trailing off again. Uh, they may be recovering in the in the short term, but we do see them trailing off again, largely as those uh, more economic challenges uh, start to take hold. So, uh, sales recovering, uh, you know, towards uh, the end of 2021 uh, in our current outlook. So, in terms of uh, so, in thinking, Eric, before the recovery in, I think you said 2021, 2022. Um, what what are we expecting in terms of price declines then, kind of overall for for the Vancouver market? So we, according to our outlook, uh, we are looking at an eight to sixteen percent decline in the overall MLS average price um, over the next two years. So that's a total over the two-year period. Uh, that begins with a 05 to three percent price decline this year, uh, and really accelerates in twenty twenty-one, where it could be you know more to the order of, of nine or ten percent. That then brings us to that eight or sixteen percent over the next two years. Uh, there is additional uncertainty with that, and that part of that also depends on the composition of sales. And so we do see, uh, you know, basically lower price properties, so condominiums uh, mainly in our region, uh, making up a greater share of those sales going forward. And so that impacts uh, your average price. Uh, that trend was starting long before the pandemic, uh, but it will particularly continue as people have uh, lower purchasing power. Um, in uh, the, over the coming years. So sorry, I'm just a little bit unclear. Uh, in terms of property types, you're saying in terms of, I guess maybe I'll just put it as a question. How do you see different property types kind of weathering this storm and which, are, which will perform the best? Yeah, uh, I mean, our, our forecast, we don't publish those details, but I can walk you through some of our thinking anyway. Um, so, you know, in general, the detached market in Vancouver is uh, largely, well, detached also from the local economy, right? Um, it is a market that is uh, largely driven by wealth and that is, you know, people have accumulated equity positions and so on and they're able to transact in, in that market or they've brought wealth to the market uh, that they've earned, uh, you know, elsewhere or, or locally. You know, what we've seen so far in the last couple of months is that that uh, people have continued to transact in that segment. And so that's actually uh, helped hold prices steady. Uh, you know, the the share of properties, for example, in the one to one and a half million range uh, has increased uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. Meanwhile, properties in the 300 to, you know, say one million range, uh, they've seen a relative decline in market share. And those, of course, would not be single detached homes, but they, they've seen a relative uh, decline in market share. So that's... Uh, uh, impacted uh, prices um, in the short term, uh, the last couple of months. Um, the detached segment going forward, I mean, I think the the very high end uh, will continue to see the challenges it's seen over over the last couple of years. Uh, simply the uh, the buyers uh, for those properties, uh, particularly with their borders closed, um, you know, they uh, important component of demand for those properties that uh, won't be active in the market or won't be as active. 
Um, and then in the in the main part of the detached market, uh, it could be it could actually be relatively stable, right? What will uh, I think play into our our outlook and what we're accounting for in there is that that uh, the share that the single detached market represents in the overall average price will continue to to fall over time. Meanwhile, in the condo market, I mean, this is where, you know, there's, there's quite a bit of uncertainty. And I think uh, we'll start seeing uh, some different trends, you know, differentiate, greater differentiation based on quality, for example, uh, than we have, say, in the last few years. And I can elaborate more on that later, if you like. But it, um, you know, is really a, uh, a situation where, you know, this is the segment of the market where people who have... Um, you know, potentially uh, now have lower incomes or they've lost their job. Initially, uh, they're not going to be able to transact, right? Uh, you know, that's how we see sales falling. But later on, uh, you know, they will uh, perhaps only be able to transact in that segment. And uh, so that's where we see a greater share of lower price properties uh, making up uh, that average price. And uh, so particularly if you have uh, increased listings in the condo segment, uh, we do see more activity uh, going to that segment going forward. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. So it's interesting. I I guess as a follow-up, it almost seems like you're thinking of the market and and when I say you, I guess you and CMHC thinking in the market as almost uh, the condo market and the detached market moving in entirely segregated spaces am i am i understanding that correctly like it seems like if the if there's a potential for the detached market to remain relatively stable and so far at least it seems like yeah the people that are getting hit worst by covid are are at that kind of entry level there's not uh there's there's not a lot of interplay between those markets yeah i i'm I mean, we have had, uh, I mean, this goes back to 2015, 2016. I mean, we, we have talked before at CMHC about the notion that Vancouver is kind of a two-speed market, right? Um, there is uh, the single detached segment and there is the attached and condo segment. And so uh, that distinction blurred a little bit over the last couple of years when we had uh, you know, weakness in the single detached segment, particularly in 2018, 2019. Uh, I think that that uh, kind of two-speed market, uh, you know, will come back simply because there is a segment of the market, the single detached market, uh, where you uh, basically, unless you have an, a, an existing equity uh, position that you can bring to the transaction, uh, you can't transact in that market based on your local income. Interesting. So in thinking about the next coming months here, Eric, what what are the, some of the key indicators we should be watching? Uh, yeah, there's many. Um, not all of them have uh, great data or or higher frequency data, which is what we would like, right? Some of these are you know big economic indicators that you only get uh, uh, data points quarterly or annually, things like that. But a few things that we're watching are, of course, the uh, the three variables that we believe are kind of at the core of of our housing forecast. So. We are going to be very interested to see what happens to migration, uh, both on the policy front. So do the borders open up again? What does that look like? Uh, is the government going to maintain its uh, immigration targets for the year? Is it going to increase them to try and make up for lost time? Things like that. Um, you know, we do get uh, some migration data from Statistics Canada quarterly. Uh, Q1 of this year uh, has been released and we saw that for Vancouver, we had uh, a negative uh, account in terms of uh, net non-permanent residents. Uh, so that that's interesting. Uh, those are your, you know, your international students and other temporary workers, for example. Uh, that has uh, traditionally been a, particularly the 18 to 44-year-old group in that category has traditionally been a uh, major source of population growth uh, for our region over the last few years. Uh, so the Q2 data point uh, for that, which now encompasses the shutdown period, so April, May, and June, uh, will be out uh, later this summer. And I think that will be very interesting to see just how uh, the growth of our population has uh, been affected by the drop in migration. Um, and we're interested in that because that's 
linked to housing demand, right? Ultimately, people needing places to live. And if there's fewer of them arriving, and since our rate of natural increase is quite low, uh, that's kind of your major source of demand for the region. Uh, on the employment front, uh, we're going to be interested to see if job losses uh, you know, stay concentrated in the kind of uh, tourism, hospitality, retail sectors that have borne the brunt of the losses so far, or if that actually spreads to other sectors, uh, you know, which, you know, as kind of business confidence is um, uh, affected by the pace of the recovery. So we're, we'll be watching the labor force survey data as to you know, what's happening there. In the resale market, uh, we are going to be interested in the pace of the increase in listings uh, relative to the pace of sales. And so uh, right now, I don't think the market is sending a convincing signal either way. We're operating on very thin activity, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, if we do see a sustained increase in listings that's faster than the, uh, the pace of sales, that would uh, point us in a direction that, you know, we're moving towards uh, more buyer's market conditions and hence a a softer pricing environment. In terms of the new home market uh, and new construction, uh, we will, of course, be watching the pace of housing starts. Uh, We do collect the CMAC data on that monthly. Uh, So we've seen uh, a bit of a slowdown over the last few months in housing starts, but we are as I indicated, expecting uh, starts to resume uh, more towards the end of the year in the fall. And there are quite a number of projects that are essentially sitting at the ready and, and developers are looking for the right time uh, to um, you know, launch those projects. I think there's also a reflection going on in the industry about the design of units and the design of homes as well um, you know, to allow for, for example, uh, more flexible working space at home or, you know, units that, uh, you know, maybe have more outdoor space or access to more outdoor space. Whereas if we are kind of living in a quarantined environment for a little while, that uh, those units would uh, be more attractive uh, to buyers, for example. Um, The other part of the new construction market that we'll be watching is uh, what happens with pre-sales and in particular, uh, whether and uh, to what extent people are able to close on their existing pre-sales. So 90% of the, uh, approximately 90% of the units that are set to be completed uh, in the condo market over the next two years have already been pre-sold, uh, but buyers will need to close on those. And so, uh, so far, you know, the industry report is that uh, closing are working out, uh, people are able to close. Uh, but if that changes, then that would, you know, likely indicate some, uh, some pressure uh, on the condo market as well. Uh, finally, just in the rental market, uh, I think we'll be watching for an increase in supply, uh, particularly in the uh, condo rental market, as uh, some uh, investors who might have been renting their units short term before on platforms like Airbnb and otherwise, uh, given the decrease in tourism this year, they may have turned their units towards uh, long term rental. Uh, and so then if there is, uh, you know, an increase in supply there, uh, that could lead to uh, more choice for tenants and potentially uh, lower vacancy rates and uh, lower asking rents. Uh, we will also uh, in the fall be doing the CMAC rental market survey uh, where the data will be available more towards the end of the year. And uh, that for us will be a key uh, annual data point uh, in terms of vacancy rates and rents and the overall uh, health of the rental market, and of course, how it has been impacted uh, by the uh, pandemic as well. So a ton of indicators, uh, a lot of uncertainty, really. Uh, but the thread I draw through them is that, you know, housing ultimately comes down to, to people. And uh, what we've seen so far is that, uh, at least in the short term, there's going to be fewer people uh, needing a place to live. And so that will have an impact on our housing market. Mm-hmm. Is just in thinking of, you know, since mid-March and we're at the start of July now, I think everybody would agree that we've probably fared better than worst case scenarios with COVID, right? Uh, in terms of all these uh, economic indicators that you're looking at, did you think we'd be in a better spot right now or a worse spot uh, back in March or exactly where we are? <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I don't know if I can concretely answer that, but I mean, just, uh, you know, in, in terms of 
our outlook and kind of, you know, we, we give a range of, of to our indicators, right? And so kind of baked into that is, you know, kind of a better case scenario and a worst case scenario, right? Um, I, w- I would say that, you know, we are so far, at least in BC, probably on track towards the better case scenario. I mean, this is a scenario where, uh, you know, containment measures are relaxed, uh, you know, according to plan that, uh, you know, economic activity can resume, that hiring resumes uh, by businesses, and ultimately consumer confidence and business confidence are, uh, are restored. Uh, the key part of that scenario where we haven't seen any movement yet is on the migration front. Uh, so we, we will need our borders to be open again, and we will need, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, increase in population to, uh, you know, really uh, put us back on a path towards growing housing demand. Uh, the alternative, like the, the less optimistic scenario would be one where, say, uh, we have, uh, you know, other shutdowns, uh, you know, say a second wave, things like that, and that really uh, curtail economic activity and, uh, you know, limit business and consumer confidence as well. And, you know, the, the future is, of course, uncertain, but uh, at least in BC, uh, I think we're doing fairly well so far. Mm-hmm. Is it safe then? At, I'm just thinking back to the, the kind of the, the tale of two markets between the condos or the attached market and the detached market, Eric. Is it is it safe to say that the detached market, particularly in the not not the, the super high end, but more the entry mid level market, is is the most resilient market over the next two years? In your opinion? Yeah, we, we don't have an exact uh, you know outlook, as I said, for like price segments or things like that. I might propose to you that that might have always been the case. Uh, I'd have to go and, and look at and look at some of the data, but I mean the the entry level single to hatch market. You know, their buyers there place a value on having four walls and a and a lot and so on, right? Um, as well as the interest in the in the land, uh, right on that lot. Um, so I, I think there is uh, you know a certain uh, attraction to that 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 will persist. You know whether uh, you know, I guess it also depends what happens in other segments of the market as to whether, you know, people can continue to afford to move up into those homes, right? For example, they might have to sell their existing condo or a couple of condos. And if they can find buyers, uh, great. If they can't, or if they get a lower price than they hoped, uh, you know, that might limit their ability to transact in the entry-level single detached market. And and just thinking about your the methodology that CMHC uses, do you, do you look like regionally in Greater Vancouver? Are there particularly like do you focus on sub areas, and are there any sub areas that perhaps are are, are in your opinion going to be more stable, kind of moving forward? Um, or do you do you guys look at maybe uh, growth in sub areas? Like we just actually a lot of people have been talking about Squamish as a an area that might be very busy. Um, now that people are working from home, for example, and, and buying habits might be changing. Any thoughts on that? So our our forecasting is done across the country at the census metropolitan area level. So here that's the Metro Vancouver level. Um, so we do not, for example, have a forecast for Squamish versus Langley or right. you know condos versus singles in one of those areas as well. I mean, what I've been relating to you is kind of some of the things that as a local office and in my own work that I pay attention to that certainly helps inform the, the, um, you know, helps inform the forecast, helps inform some of the commentary on it. Uh, but at its core, uh, you know, this is a uh, macroeconomic forecast that is, uh, you know, done by models. We have a team across the country and then we apply uh, local market intelligence uh, to it. Uh, and that would en- encompass things like policy changes and so on. So we, uh, you know, we didn't have as many of those to consider this time because, quite frankly, the pandemic uh, economically uh, impacted many cities across Canada similarly. Um, so it is it is largely a uh, you know, macroeconomic forecast uh, that uh, is derived at the uh, provincial level and then also at the local level uh, in order to incorporate, um, you know, the structure of, of different economies and price levels and things like that. Uh, to get to your question about sub areas of Vancouver, where we might, um, you know, that might behave differently, right? Uh, earlier, I mentioned the idea that, you know, we might see a return to 
greater differentiation in terms of quality, right? Uh, particularly in the condo market, uh, I think, and that could be in terms of location, but also in terms of amenities and structure and so on, right? Or just the individual project. Um, and so what I mean here is that, you know, over, for example, if you think to 2017, uh, the condo market, you know, we saw, the, you know, quite substantial price increases in the condo market of about, you know, 150, 200,000. I'm simplifying here a bit, but basically price levels rose by a dollar amount kind of uniformly across the region. Uh, and so that's interesting because that was kind of an increase in the um, kind of, if you wanted to own, you had to pay that much more. And so for example, in Langley, maybe that meant the, the properties, you know, or the condo properties increased in value by uh, 30, 40, 50% type thing. Whereas, you know, say in central Vancouver, uh, that increase was less, but still, you know, a substantial dollar amount, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the, floor, the floor increased because there was a great demand for ownership housing. Uh, we just might see that, that floor, you know, spread out a bit. And we'll also see greater differentiation between condos because no longer will people be looking to own anything, uh, particularly if they're staying at home, they, they would like something that, uh, you know, meets their needs and, and uh, you know, maybe is in a, uh, you know, a different location uh, than they might have considered otherwise. So my point here is that if you were to pay, say, $50,000 more, you would get much more condo now than you would have in the past, like it used to. Um, oh, pardon me, sorry. If in the past, you had paid fifty thousand dollars more. It might not have made that much of a difference. Now, now it, it's you know it, it's going to uh, you're going to see differentiation between product, and that's how uh, you know developers will be positioning their their products as well. So I think uh, you know more marginal products, the ones where you know maybe it's just you wanted to own something, so you bought there. Um, you know those might see some some pressure, whereas quality product will. Uh, likely see sustained or greater demand. Does that help? That, that makes yeah, a lot of yeah. sense because that's okay. We've been, we've been talking about that a lot, actually. Yeah. This, this idea that, in obviously in busy markets, everything sells, but in softer markets, you see the tier one product kind of move to the forefront, right? Now that buyers have selection. Um, I think that kind of maybe ties in with what you're saying, where we're, we're seeing right now, like it's people have more choice and they have the ability to buy. Um, kind of the, the premier product or the premier location. Yeah, and it it won't be that much more expensive, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Or it hasn't been uh, in the past, and now you know it. it uh, yeah, there's going to be some some difference there. Well, and just thinking about kind of gaps in the market and and differentiating it between locations, and this is this is more just you know being in the CMHC office and, and being a student of the market. Previously, we talk about kind of downtown as being the, the epicenter and everything going out from there. But with COVID, now everybody's talking about potentially people wanting more space and things like that. Are, do you think that's actually gonna, going to take place where people are actually, um, you know, the market kind of shifts away from density walkability and kind of push to the suburbs like so many people are kind of suggesting? Uh, I don't have a concrete answer for that. <laughs> for those who are just listening, I'm, I'm smiling and laughing. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, that that is a very interesting question and, you know, one that uh, I think will take several years to play out. But uh, I would actually more think of it in terms of that, is this now the time for mid-sized cities to shine, right? Uh, will we see you know, more people move to places like uh, Nanaimo, uh, for example, that are, uh, you know, particularly geographically speaking, quite close to, you know, a larger city like Vancouver. Really, it's, uh, you know, because the connectivity is there, they can work remotely, they can travel, you know, to a larger city in relatively short order. Uh, but yeah, they have lower housing costs um, and uh, potentially, uh, you know, greater greater choice or or rather you could get, uh, you know, much more for your, your money in terms of, uh, you know, either the type of unit or the size of property or so on. And uh, so, yeah, what, what you're asking is, will this 
will this massive experiment that we've done with remote working fundamentally remake our cities? Yes. Uh, it might. No um, but uh, yeah, I don't have the answer to that. Uh, my fingertips are. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe actually, and it's kind of interesting, this idea of the mid-sized city, uh, if it's uh, mid-sized city's time to shine. Can we talk a little bit about how Vancouver is going to compare to other major cities in, in the country, how it's going to fare? Uh, but also in re relation to other, uh, you know, smaller to mid-sized cities? Um, well, I mean, in terms of the outlook, uh, is that what you meant in terms of the outlook? Exactly, uh, yeah. 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 Um, so there aren't, uh, you know, because our forecast rests on the, you know, core principles of uh, employment, income, and uh, migration being key determinants of housing demand, and all of those variables across, or those three variables that all across the country uh, have been have been impacted. Uh, there aren't uh, in our forecast, you know, very large differences between the, you know, uh, evolution of different cities uh, that we see over the next few years. Uh, in the grandest sense, there are some, you know, smaller differences in that, uh, for example. In the Prairie Provinces, uh, you know, Edmonton and Calgary have the added complication of the oil market being a uh, significant uh, employer in their economy. Um, and uh, with reduced demand for transportation and mobility and, you know, lower economic activity in general, uh, you know, that, uh, that market has uh, very low prices right now and that will impact employment rate. Um, so that, uh, you know, means that the... Um, the impact on the housing market will be a little deeper and a little more protracted in, in those cities. Uh, but to, in terms of comparison, say with Toronto and Montreal, I think it really comes down to where we started from uh, as to the differences you'll see. Uh, so I, I talked a little bit about uh, Vancouver earlier and that we were starting, uh, you know, with uh, high prices relative to local incomes and a high level of indebtedness uh, also. Um, and so, you know, we, we will, uh, you know, see uh, that play out in, uh, in our housing market in terms of, uh, you know, price growth and, and so on. In Toronto and Montreal, uh, you know, they will uh, have an impact there as well. Uh, in general, we see the uh, prices, for example, in Montreal, because they were lower to begin with, uh, recovering quicker and, uh, and uh, you know, not uh, having as deep of a, uh, of a uh, pullback uh, to begin with. But broadly speaking, if, I, if you were to take a, a thick marker to this, it's pretty similar. Yeah, I guess I, I'm kind of interested, uh, and maybe this is kind of a final kind of uh, track here in terms of questions, but in terms of forecasting, I think it's obviously a tricky business. Uh, I guess thinking about it from two angles here. One is, are you looking at any other time in the past as kind of a as any sort of guide here with COVID? I mean, it seems like we're in in a fairly unique moment. Um, and forecasting would be incredibly tricky. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys have dealt with with that, and uh, and also why it's important, uh, why why CMHC thinks it's important, uh, or part of the mission to to come out with kind of these longer term forecasts? Sure. So I'll start with the last part of your question first. Maybe I mean we issue forecasts fundamentally to you know inform the market of what we're seeing and to help other people make. Uh, more informed decisions, right? Uh, in doing that, we, you know, try to explain what our forecast is based on. I, I've touched here on how it's a certain worldview about, you know, housing demand being based on certain fundamentals of the of the economy, uh, namely migration, employment, and income. Um, and, you know, people can agree or, or disagree with, uh, with that way of viewing the world. You know, ultimately, we you know, we do this, as I said, to help them make more informed decisions. And unfortunately, sometimes that means telling people news that they don't really want to hear, right? Uh, well, but, although there's got to be a lot of people in Vancouver that are excited with this news as well, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, no, but, but in all seriousness, uh, you know, it, it's uh, to give pause and reflection, uh, you know, as to, uh, you know, what actions you might want to take in the market, given the uncertainty and given that, 
you know, at least uh, we are saying that this is what we see or how we see that playing out. Right? Um, so that that's kind of why we do it. I mean, we're we're helping in doing so. We hope to help people meet their housing needs, right, uh, and that they can, uh, you know, transact in the market in a in a way that uh, you know helps them find a home that both meets their needs and that they can afford, right? Right. Um, just sorry, just thinking about that, and and I know I asked the other question, but just thinking along those lines, like there's often we think about the market in, you know, there's the fundamentals and then there's the psychology of the market, right? And it, the market in a lot of respects becomes kind of the stories you tell about it. Um, do you see there being any sort of relationship between what the, the forecasts and uh, the fruition of, of those forecasts in terms of creating more uncertainty in the market? Okay, so you're asking about uh, expectations and the role of expectations in the market. Then um, is what I understood. But the, I mean, certainly, certainly it's a factor, right? Um, and uh, but it's very difficult to to really say anything concrete about it because it's so individual, right? Each individual home buyers or home sellers uh, situation is different. Their objectives are different, also. Uh, some people like to speculate in the market. Some people uh, see it as an investment, for example. Others are looking for a place to live and raise a family, right? Uh, all of these are permitted uh, types of transactions in this, you know, free market that we have, right? right. Um, so certainly, you know, people's expectations are formed, you know, by their own experience, by their own, uh, you know, by their own uh, objectives. And yeah, sure, by things that they might read and hear and so on, right? Uh, we don't, you know, allow that to, uh, for example, hold back what we might say or anything like that, because we are, as I said, we see it as a central objective to inform the market of what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Uh, people can use that information, uh, however they will in their own situation and, uh, you know, ultimately, hopefully, uh, make a, a more informed decision. Fair enough. And, and, and sorry, just to go back to the the first part of the question about is there is there any historical kind of precedence you guys are using to guide or or is that or is that even part of the analysis? Um, well, I mean, we we are using uh, you know we have uh, certain you know I mean a lot of uh, economic modeling relies on establishing the relationship between different variables or components of the economy over time, and so certainly we're basing ourselves on that, and that is uh, you know where we. Uh, you know, rely on this idea that uh, income, employment, and uh, migration are all uh, associated with uh, housing demand, and and uh, you know, then housing demand is associated with prices and incentive for new supply, and so on, like that. Um, is there precedent for a pandemic in a modern open economy? <laughs> yeah. Not really. Um, you know the answer. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting, like. You know, you could compare it. Or you could try to compare it to, for example, 0809, uh, but that was a um, you know a, a recession that began in uh, financial markets, not due to a uh, fundamental change or restriction in human behavior. You know, not being able to congregate that sort of thing. So, uh, we are. I, I must say, though, that we are still in the very early days of this, right? Uh, so, the parallels or the lessons with you know, other uh, recessions may become uh, more apparent over time. Uh, what is interesting is there is one paper, if uh, I forget the authors offhand, but who looked at the uh, evolution of uh, the housing market in uh, Paris after the 1918-1919 uh, pandemic. And, uh, you know, they found that, uh, you know, actually things, you know, did come back quite quickly once migration returned and, housing demand increased, right? Or that population growth resume. Uh, you know, I'm doing a vast oversimplification of, of their work, but, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. I, I found nonetheless that uh, someone studied this in 1918 and 1919, uh, you know, in terms of housing markets and the pandemic. Right. Was that study done recently or was it actually done a hundred years ago? No, so it was done recently uh, based on data collected from that time. And so, again, it's kind of interesting that they had that data um, and that, uh, you know, they were able to obtain it or find it in some library somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it speaks to the important need to uh, to have good housing data 
and uh, you know we have some data gaps in in uh, Canada for sure. Um, and so the more we can fill those, the more we'll be able to uh, you know understand and uh, you know make more informed decisions. And maybe as a as a final question, Eric. Um, in thinking kind of long-term Vancouver real estate, maybe more kind of the, like the 10-year kind of forecast, um, the CMHC, I, you know, we've, we've reviewed a lot of the reports, but is there any kind of long-term forecast that, that you guys have put out or, or any thoughts on what the market looks like in the long-term for Vancouver? Uh, so we, we don't have a, a long-term forecast in terms of like housing variables, like house prices and so on. We do do some more longer-term forecasting, and as does Statistics Canada and other agencies, on more of the demographic side, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of what does uh, population growth look like? And, of course, the huge variable now being uh, migration, right? That's been interrupted. Uh, but, you know, certainly the fundamentals, in our view, I don't think have changed, right? Vancouver remains an attractive place to live, uh, both on a national and international scale, you know, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, with our post-secondary education institutions as well, we are going to see uh, demand come back to the rental market. We're going to see demand come back to the ownership market as our population continues to grow. So I don't think that part of the story has changed at all. Uh, how we meet the housing needs of all those people is, uh, of course, great challenge for our regional planners and uh, municipal councillors and so on. And kind of what uh, the industry is able to bring to market as well will determine ultimately what that housing market looks like. Um, how equal it is, how accessible it is, uh, and of course, uh, yeah, how well it uh, you know meets the uh, meets the demand that we think will still come. Excellent. We've got this uh, this quick segment called the Five Wire. Five quick questions about Vancouver. Can you stick around for that? Sure. Okay. So, question number one: What is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? I think I know this one. <laughs> yeah, you probably do. Uh, well, I'm a big fan of Kitsilano. Uh, I've lived here for the past eight years, and I, uh, you know, I love being close to the beach. I love that it's a little cooler in the summer too. Uh, you know, being closer to the water, right? Um, I love the outdoor swimming pool. I'm quite hopeful that that will be opening again soon, and right. we'll see. Uh, you know how comfortable of an experience that is, but I appreciate the efforts by the city to get those outdoor recreation uh, things open again. And uh, yeah, I uh, quite enjoy quite enjoy this neighborhood. I don't blame you. A favorite bar or restaurant? Uh, okay, so I'm going to push the definition of restaurant a little bit. I- I'm going to say rain or shine ice cream uh, oh. on uh, West Fourth Avenue. I mean, you-, you could go there for dinner if you want, but it's. Uh, it's not typically <laughs> typically where I go, but it could be done. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know it's just a, a great take on uh, you know ice cream that they make right there, right? And uh, you know the they make good cones, and I'm an ice cream guy, so yeah. Nice. Hey, That's the first time we've had an ice cream shop. It's, uh, it's <laughs> oh, good. there you go. <laughs> uh, one book you'd recommend that all of our listeners read? Um, okay, so your listeners are. are probably interested in real estate so i'll talk about a real estate book maybe um what i'll propose is there's a book called the wealthy renter uh, and it's by uh, alex avery who's a canadian uh, author it's a relatively recent book so the analysis is um you know i still think quite relevant but basically this book uh you know whether you're interested in renting or owning or considering either one uh, what i found interesting about it is it lays out the mathematics of this, um, you know, what you want to consider, you know, for example, the, the uh, old critique that, oh, if you're renting, you're just flushing money down the drain, right? Well, no, that's not really the case. I mean, you know, when you rent, you rent housing. When you buy, you rent money to buy housing, right? That's, that's what a mortgage is. Um, so you can do some mathematics around that to kind of see based on your objectives, uh, you know, what uh, makes the most sense introduces ideas like opportunity costs that maybe not everyone is familiar with, right? So you have, uh, if you 
put a down payment and lock that equity up in your house, there's an opportunity opportunity cost associated with that and that you can't take that money and invest it somewhere else, things like that. So uh, it's an interesting book because it doesn't come out one way or another as to uh, what, what you should do, but it equips you with the tools to make those calculations and then based on your values to... uh, uh, you know, decide whether to buy or rent or so on. Yeah, that's a good one. Interesting. The wealthy renter. The wealthy renter, not the wealthy barber, but derived from <laughs> that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> one piece of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Uh, there are many. Uh, but if, if I had to pick one, I think it would be to, and forgive me if this is a bit philosophical, but uh, I think the earlier in your life you can do the uh, hard work to figure out what you value, uh, the more that can help you later on, right? Because uh, if you know your values and you can articulate them, that you can then, you know, I've ended up in some places where, where I wasn't happy before and it turns out I was acting or doing things that were fundamentally uh, contrary to my values, right? And it's hard, it's hard to realize that unless you know what those are in the first place. So yeah, I would spend some time thinking about what you value and it will guide you in decisions or I would tell my 18-year-old self to use that to guide you in decisions uh, else for the rest of your life, right? That's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah. And final question, something that you have purchased for under $1,000 that has positively changed your life? So maybe I'll, uh, well, thing I wished I had purchased for under $1,000, if you will, first would be about $1,000 of Google stock in 1998. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> since I didn't do <laughs> uh, one thing I, I did buy earlier in my life for much less than $1,000, I think more like $60, was uh, my first bicycle. Um, it is, uh, as a student especially at that time, it's a great way to, uh, to get around. And, uh, you know, since then I've had variety of different bicycles had different bicycles stolen and you know bought new ones and so on but um you know uh, i commute to work by bicycle i you know i have a car too i take it skiing but i don't take my bike skiing but it's, it's great for using uh, you know around town to get around and active transportation especially uh you know in these times if you just want to go outside and clear your head bicycle is pretty pretty hard to beat yeah, no kidding. That's a good one. Well, well, thanks so much, Eric, for your time. And uh, how can people find out more about uh, the work you guys are doing, your publications, CMHC? Certainly, yeah. I mean, we have a website. It's uh, cmhc.ca. And uh, on there, there's a wealth of, uh, well, A, information about uh, you know how to buy a home. Uh, there's a home buying guide, for example, that can take you through the process if you've never been through it before. That uh, uh, you know we've heard is is very helpful to people. Uh, we also have a uh, research and data section uh, where you can download some of the data that uh, that uh, I've been talking about uh, that we use in our forecasts. And then in the uh, you know you also find our, our publications uh, such as our housing market outlook uh, that I was uh, just speaking about as well so all of that is available on uh, cmac.ca or you can also just search for cmac housing outlook on google and that will take you to the uh, report as well well th- thanks again that was uh, that was great maybe we can have you back six months from now and uh, see where we're at It'd be very interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with economist and market analyst from the CMHC, Eric Bond. Really enjoyed that conversation with Eric, Matt. He is a bright guy, for sure. No question there. And uh, really just kind of took us through the predictions. Really well-spoken. Yeah. You challenged them a little bit. Well, you know what? It was uh, what I, we always talk about here is the CMHC is a, is, is a pretty big player in the Canadian housing market. I think it's that's a, fair to a, say. Yeah. It, uh, from all the noise that's out there, when the CMHC makes a, a prediction, people listen, that, the media that, picks it up. That's right. So no, I, I think what we, what we talked about there was just how do you think the CMHC forecasts shape psychology? Uh, and you know what? I think Eric was uh, Eric was pretty clear on their take on that, 
And uh, no, it was a fantastic conversation. Uh, I learned a lot, and uh, so good having having him on. It's nice having guys like Eric actually at the uh, at at the helm, you know, because I, I do think that uh, CMHC is doing a, a great job, bang up job, uh, no a question. bang up job. And uh, I also liked a lot of his live wire answers. Uh, really good, really uh, the the moral compass thing. He's a thoughtful guy. He's a very thoughtful guy no uh, for sure. What else do we have for today, Matt? What do we have? Well, let's just say, again, it's Wednesday right now. On Saturday morning, we are at the Vancouver Real Estate Summit. This is, you don't even have to get all your pajamas for this one. It's a no, Zoom call. We're not. It's free. <laughs> there's almost a thousand people apparently attending this. Um, and there's 10 top notch speakers. I think we're going on at 1015. Our talk is what's really happening in Vancouver real estate. But, you know, some of the, some of the past guests are, are actually going to be there as well. Kyle Green's going to be there. Uh, there's a s- investing in self-storage talk. Dave Steele's there talking about 13,000 doors and how you handle that during a pandemic. It's it's going to be a really great morning. And what I like about these Zoom events is, uh, you know, parking's free. And and uh, if you go for coffee and you don't come back, nobody notices. And if we're boring, you just turn us off. Exactly. Just exactly. go about your That's day. not the plan, though. That's no. That's not the plan. It's not the plan. And you know what? I, I think this is one of the biggest turnouts they've ever had, actually, to one of these events. So, uh there, there's actually still spots available, though. So if you want the registration link, we can send that to you. Just get in touch. Of course, uh, we will send that over right away. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And if you're interested in that or anything else and you're not signed up to the live wire, mm-hmm. shame on you. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You would have already got a registration link right. if you were signed up. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We have tons of resources there, including our back catalog. We have the live wire. There's deal of the month there. We're sending out stats that uh, nobody else is sending out very quickly. We also have private client services. Yeah, Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's available at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And really, it's the best way to look for real estate in Vancouver for sure. There's no question about it. If you're not using PCS to search for Vancouver real estate, you're doing it wrong. And uh, we should say, if you're interested in knowing what your neighbors are selling for, you're interested in selling your place, not only is PCS a good tool, but we also got that seller's club and you can get that at the website as well. We'll even do a market analysis for you, tell you what your place is worth. And last but not least, Matt, I just want another, uh, shout this out one more time. Next week, we have Michael Zuber joining us your, the journey to financial independence through real estate is the is the topic of this conversation. He's got a book called One Rental at a Time. He went from zero to almost 200 doors in 15 years. Just a and regular also, guy. Yeah, and retired, bef- I think, at 45. Says retirement was pretty boring, and now he's back on podcasts. Is that right? Well, you'll have to listen to find out. Absolutely. Uh, if you want to talk about that, although I wasn't there, that the summit, anything real estate related at all, give me a shout at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also have that secret line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And speaking of secret, Matt, he's actually going to make an appearance at the summit on Saturday. It was the bento box. We needed the bento box back. We're back with Ramey at ramyfilms.com. Back with Secrets secret. there. I mean, this <laughs> is... Secret. Dot com. <laughs> what? That's secret. Think, dot com, the secret. I think is, is site. What? What? Actually, that would be fun. At ashleymadison.com. Like, what's the? What is the secret site? Is it? Is what it, is the or secret? Is, or is it the That's book? The secret. Out. Yeah, just Google secret. You'll find. Well, it. no. Email them at info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. <laughs> or try that. Have a good week, guys. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, 
Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 